Uncomfortable podcast where we discuss all the things that make us uncomfortable. I am your co host, Allura, and I'm the other lesser one, Jade. (laughs) (laughs) And that means it's Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, a whole month for you to enjoy noodles, ramen, pad thai, whatever noodles name that you can't pronounce that will never be as long as the histories of war and colonialism in our motherland. <laughs> uh, we're also moving towards summer, which means that you and all your white friends are ready to book your Airbnb in Thailand or Hawaii. <laughs> no, it's true. Usually our homelands are tourist destinations, but today we are the mouthy American tourists. So squeeze into that lavatory, chase that street food, street food with a bottle of Pepto because it is time to get uncomfortable per huge. Mm-hmm. So Jade, start us off. Do you got any complaints, rants, and conveniences? Uh, well, you know, I was thinking about things that make me uncomfortable in relation to travel and summertime and there's just so many things like sunlight skin general happiness uh and life but i was really thinking about things that people expect you to do when you're on vacation because you know both of us have trips coming up so i was thinking god what are the things that i'm dreading about these vacations and two words came to mind and that is hot tub Because I don't know, like, how did people get interested in this? Because it's literally burning hot water, bubbling, and making your skin turn this texture that seems like it might rip apart like a corpse that's been in a river for two weeks. And there's just something about that skin texture that comes from being boiled in water with other people that is very unsettling. I don't feel like human meat anymore. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like meat for consumption. So it's just not something that I like. I don't like sharing that small watery space with other people. And what kind of conversation are you expected to have when you're in a hot tub with someone? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you're all sitting yes, there. It, it, yeah. It's a very uncomfortable situation. What do you talk about? Yeah, it just seems very forced. I mean, you're half naked, you're boiling. Sometimes people are sweating. And there's always that reminder or the warning next to it. That's like, if you have a heart condition or if you're under 14 years of age, you will explode and melt. So it just feels like a very dangerous thing that people are taking way too casually and sexually. I don't get how people get turned on in a hot tub and they start boning and then there's bodily fluids floating around in the boiling water. It's so disgusting. And I always think back to Deuce Bigelow. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh, God. (laughs) 
this is what they say the generation gap tears people apart it's just miscommunication so deuce bigelow is a rob schneider movie um praise the mixed race asians and he is like uh he takes care of aquariums and this uh male gigolo hires him to take care of this huge tropical fish tank while he's out on vacation like wooing and seducing women for 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 pay in other countries and he ends up falling into this whole um gigolo lifestyle so you know rob schneider looking like how he does that's the whole joke is that this short ugly guy would become this seducer of women and it turns out that he ends up learning about all these women and they're lonely because they've been rejected because they don't fit the typical beauty standard so it's very heartwarming very sweet um but he meets with these other jig, this other gigolo. I guess he's kind of the pimp figure, and it's played by Eddie Griffin. And they meet in a hot tub like every week, and Eddie Griffin <laughs> is always eating in the hot tub. So he's eating like a, a sub sandwich, and there's tomatoes and lettuce oh and like God. mayonnaise dripping into the water. And I feel like that very much exemplifies how I feel about a hot tub. Just utter gag, gross disgust. So this is my public service announcement. Avoid the hot tubs on your summer vacations. What? Yes, that was amazing imagery. Thank you. Are you a hot tub fan? <laughs> no, never have been. I'm not a very big like water mm. person. Mm-hmm. So I like my water cold. <laughs> it's the only thing that makes me feel alive. Um, yeah, so I have what, like a. Sorry, what? No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I was just gonna say I have like a deep fear of the ocean, mm. and like what it contains. Did you have so a I bad really, experience? No, it's just I like. There's so like, it's the deep unknown ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, no one really knows what's in there. So that little, it hasn't really been explored. The little brush of seaweed on your toe just gets the imagination yes. going. Mm, yes. Yeah. I think that is very humbling about the ocean that we don't, uh, what is it? Like we only know 10% of what the ocean contains. And so there's surely like ghosts and demons and stuff in there. And you would be their first pick. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so what's making you uncomfortable this week? Or who have you made uncomfortable? Okay, so I wanted to get your um, take on this. Um, I don't, it doesn't necessarily really have to do with our topic. But I was talking to my mother um, earlier this week. And I forgot how we got on this topic. But... Um, Essentially, I said, no, you have to side with me because I'm your daughter. Like, you know. No. Right? (laughs) And so she was like, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, if you ever committed a crime, it's like, I would turn you in. Like, I wouldn't, like, necessarily side with you. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me? Mm -mm. I said, so you're saying (laughs) if I came to you. Needing to get rid of a body. I couldn't count on you to do that. Come on, Steph. Get that acid in the bathtub. Where is the loyalty? It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And so we got into a whole, like, 
argument, like discussion about this. And I just don't know. She is the epitome of a law abiding citizen. Um, And it really hurts my feelings because I said, what do you mean you wouldn't help? You would just go and turn me in without a second thought. Just disown me. Mm -hmm. So Jade, would you turn in your kids? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I feel like if you're raising your kids right, then whatever quote unquote crime subjective, by mm-hmm. the way, <laughs> um, whatever crime they would commit would be within the guidelines of the morality with which I raised them, I hope. And so I could probably see where they're coming from. You know, you, it's all about context. <laughs> you really got to ask, okay, what did this person that you murdered do to you? And how right. did you do it? Why did you do it? And really understand the situation. You can't just come at everything with a black and white filter. I mean, you know, humanity, it, it comes in rainbows. And I trust you. I feel like whatever decision you would make would feel pretty justified. So... I'm curious, though, what was it that you and your mom were disagreeing about that brought up this whole conundrum? I honestly don't. I don't remember. I think it had something to do with, like, I got in or, like, maybe my justification. She wasn't agreeing with me. Like, she was Mm -hmm. taking sides with another person who had another, like, reason for why not to do something. And I was like, no, like, you don't have a choice in the matter. Like, you have to side with me publicly. You can, like, not agree with me privately, but publicly, oh. you have to take my side. I see. So that's a difference. So having the united front to the rest of the world. So it feels like your mom is protecting you against naysayers yeah. who might be like, Allura, you can't behead someone because they cut you off in traffic. <laughs> world narcs, you know. <laughs> party papers (laughs) yeah i get that as someone who has a mother that disagrees with everything i do i could say that i (laughs) empathize with this need to feel backed up and supported but yeah i i think i would hey if i was your mom i would be on your side i'd be wiping down your fingerprints everywhere (laughs) following you around with a broom sweeping away footprints I'd be a great... I was actually just... <laughs> There's a delay. There's like a, a half a second delay which is causing all these awkward pauses. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just watching um, Breaking Bad and that like mm-hmm. one um, episode where they like do the acid in the bathtub mm-hmm. and then it just like completely just comes out from, <laughs> from the ceiling mm-hmm. and Walter's just like, what? What the hell? Why do you not follow instructions? Yes. <laughs> Gelatinizing. That's what I, yes, that's what I was like, just like picturing. Oh, man. So I'm getting I tips. I mean, I think the most unsettling <laughs> thing about this is that, I don't know, what's it, 10, 12 years after Breaking Bad has ended, you are clearly watching reruns and taking notes and paying really close attention <laughs> to it. So you pretty much incriminated yourself already. I just want to know who the target is, and I hope it's not me. 
or do I? <laughs> no, well, you know, I'm I'm a true lover of like true crime and just the criminal mind in general. And so I think like I'm always trying to come up with the perfect like crime like how to get away with murder and I just can't because like technology and forensics and like are like you know it's just so advanced at this point no one can get away with anything Mm. yeah it's a bummer about science man (laughs) (laughs) it's just really putting a barrier on your dreams and pretty messed up (laughs) tell those lab coats to go home take a break allura's got some (laughs) fantasies to fulfill (laughs) Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's what made me uncomfortable this week is my mother wouldn't back me up. Well, that's very hurtful. I'll be sure to hold that against her every time I see her. Yeah. But I'm on your side. I'll be your accomplice. I would be great as your alibi because I am the most ridiculous and worst liar. Like <laughs> I can't lie to save my life. So whenever put in a position where I have to come up with a lie, it's the most fantastical and farcical thing that you've ever thought of. So I'm sure your alibi will involve clowns and masturbating squirrels or something. Yes. Like whatever is top of mind for me. It better. Yeah. Those are things I think about a lot. So, <clears throat> okay. So um, we're both highly uncomfortable with the murder and the hot tubs. Um, it, it seems to be the commonality is a, like a liquefying of bodies this week. So that's fun. We're both uncomfortable. So it's time to get started. This week, we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about travel. You have a trip coming up. And yes. I also have a trip coming up because with you gone, I also have to go on a journey to deal with the emotions of missing you. So um, are you already thinking about how to pack like what is your packing and prep process for a big trip like this look like that's such a great question I so I'm going to Japan for like three weeks in June um and it's going to be so blazing hot Mm. um and so I really don't know how to prepare for that um yeah usually I'm I'm I always am prepared and I'm usually packed like a week out, like completely. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then like, I'm always just like, Oh, I need 30 pairs of underwear because what if I shit myself twice a day? Um, and I need more. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah. You got to prepare for the self shit. Uh, So I heard that Japan has the most vending machines like per square mile of any other country because it's so densely populated and there's not a lot of retail space. So you can buy underwear in a vending machine along with sex toys and beer and ramen and pretty much everything you can think of is in a vending machine. So you've got that going for you if you shit yourself in the middle of uh, Harajuku Square or whatever. (laughs) hop on over to that vending machine yeah and so I'm always just like I'm always overpacked because I'm like oh I'll have like two outfit changes I'll need like 
I'll use 10 different bags per day. So it's always, I always have to buy like an extra like carry on. Wow. Like really? There because it's crazy. And then I already know, like I'm going to have to bring back like so many like gifts and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I need to really <laughs> do wow. things with that. I, but I'm also like an expert packer. Like, mm-hmm. everyone has me, like, pack their suitcases because I do the packing cubes. I, like, really – I roll things instead of, like, folding them. Mm-hmm. So I really make space. It's really on brand with your whole serial killing obsession. You know, just, like, me, compartmentalized, <laughs> ordered. I have the blood vials alphabetized and dated. <laughs> so, Jade, question mm-hmm. – are you a type of person that, like, after a trip you leave your, like, stuff just in the suitcases? Or do you uh, unpack immediately? First of all, that's fucking insulting that you would ask me that question. How dare you assume <laughs> I'm one of these savages that leaves a packed suitcase rotting with the microbiome of planes, trains, <laughs> just generally outdoor places. I find it uber disgusting because I just feel like our clothes are sponges for all of that bacteria of all these places that you visit that have been touched and sat on by people and you don't know where they're coming from. So I'm the kind of person, even when I get home from work, I'm stripping down. This is like biohazard stuff. So I will not sit in my outside clothes, like on my kid's bed. I don't want to bring any of that home. So when I get home from a trip, I'm unpacking and washing everything right away, wiping down the suitcase, all of that, because I'm always thinking about the invisible, probably because I'm used to being invisible. So I really have to take care of all that. And it is a major point of contention in our house because my husband is very leisurely with that and I just have to do it right away. It's, um, you know, a little bit of a trauma response. I get a little triggered by things that are not done right away, like control and order for uh, to compensate for all of my wild, chaotic thoughts and feelings. Um, so I definitely unpack right away. And in terms of like getting ready for the trip, I would say too, I'm, I think when I was younger, I would like you pack in advance. I think now it's just making lists of things to ensure that I'm not forgetting anything. And I think um, I'm always trying to prepare for situations that may occur. Not, you know, I mean, <laughs> Japanese heat is like a cool. Uh, band name i'm not so concerned about heat i think i can deal with heat pretty well especially with traveling to vietnam and humidity and stuff but i like to be prepared for other situations like bodily harm fatal injury <laughs> rape, murder um oh also hunger too i like to be prepared i never want to be hungry anywhere that i go so there's that as well. Though I won't be that super American that's like packing like, oh, a granola bar just in case, you know, I get the shits in Thailand or whatever. I'm not that. But I just like to make sure that I won't get hangry and start abusing people out of my hangriness. So I like to be prepared. Definitely. 
Um, one thing I have about packing that maybe is a little OCD is the toothbrush. Oh, how do you pack it? <clears throat> I used to put those caps on the toothbrush, but I realized that harbors bacteria. Exactly. It was holding all of that in. So it was becoming like a dirty vagina. And so now, you know, I went to the different <laughs> ways of wrapping it, but now this is very wasteful. And I apologize for this earth and whoever's listening who cares that our earth is dying one plastic piece at a time. But now I carry multiple toothbrushes so that I'm changing them out so it doesn't have enough time to grow enough bacteria so that, I don't know, human mouths are just disgusting. It's just like a mm -hmm. cesspool for herpes and gingivitis and all that. So I try to keep it as clean as possible. And, you know, my mouth is filthy already, which is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I got it keep care of those dents. Um, have I ever told you about my dentist? No. So for a long time in my self-hatred, I didn't go to the dentist because I was like, why should I care about my mouth bones? This ship is going down, honey. So just let it ride. So I didn't go to the dentist for many years. And then I was like, oh, I should probably start taking care of that so I can live for my kids or whatever. And so I just find the closest dentist <clears throat> turns out as many dentists are he's Vietnamese so I'm traumatized already because I went to a Vietnamese dentist growing up because you know my mom never trusted anyone outside of the Vietnamese community but at the same time she would talk shit about everyone in the Vietnamese community so she'd be like oh your dentist she has these small little hands that fit inside your mouth and she's just creating problems to build the insurance because she's a criminal she's a thief and I was like okay um so, so anyway, I kind of go into this new dentist with this fear of like, oh, he's one of these scammers. He's just going to, you know, deposit something in my teeth to say, oh, you have this problem. You need a root canal. I go into this new dentist. He is probably half my age, first of all. So I'm just looking at this kid. His name's Philip Nguyen. And <laughs> I go, hey, nice to meet you. I haven't been to the dentist in a while. I know, I know. Spare me the lecture because I don't like being lectured. Um, I, and I didn't want to tell him like, oh, you know, I haven't been to the dentist because phew, mental health is a doozy. <laughs> so I tell him, it's been a while, I know um, there's problems. And the voice that comes out of this kid's body, he's like, oh, hey, Jade, no problem at all. Calamonga. <laughs> so he has this most Michelangelo of voices. And it is so hard not to laugh while he's talking to me while his hand is in my mouth. And it makes me very uncomfortable because I want to laugh at all that he is. And um, yeah, that's, that's Phil, my buddy Phil. He's a bro. He's a bro dent. That sounds like such a fun dentist. I too hate going to the dentist. Um, I actually haven't gone in a year. Oh, because my dentists are terrible. Why? They're not terrible. I just hate going. Oh. Do you have good teeth or do you have... I'm also... That's that's a good question. I also need to get my wisdom teeth taken out soon. Oh, so yeah. I've also been avoiding that situation. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously an avoidant type person in all aspects of life. I got my wisdom teeth out maybe five or six years ago. And the 
oh, what are they are called? Like, uh, <laughs> I forget what it is. But the the people who take your wisdom teeth out, they have some like long title, like fascio macial surgeons or something. Um, <laughs> please comment on our Instagram if you know the real title. But um, he was so roided out. It was scary. It was almost like his veins were about to pop out of his skin because he had pushed his body to the limit so much. And I was very worried that he was just going to like touch my jaw and then crack it into a million pieces because he had these Hulk-like hands. It was thrilling. (laughs) (laughs) I felt so tiny. Uh, but yeah, the the wisdom tooth surgery is no fun. I got that dry socket thing, and that really ached. But you know, I thought taking my wisdom teeth out would solve a lot of the pain that I felt in my head. Nope, turns out it's coming nope. from within. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I've never had a cavity. <laughs> So oh, that's good. You don't have to go to the dentist to that's not good. get cavities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's go back to travel because we've had a lot of time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, I mean, I, I assume that you're taking an airplane to Japan. Yes. Okay. So how do you feel about airplanes, airports? What makes you uncomfortable about air travel? Quite literally everything. Um, you, I, you reminded me before we recorded that you actually did get to experience me in my anxiety-inducing state mm-hmm. in the airport. I witnessed the spiral. <laughs> it was like a cyclone of anxiety. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So recent, well, last year I, I took like a solo trip to Hawaii um, and it was like my first time ever going through the airport alone, Ooh. like a flight alone. Um, so I was very, very stressed for months. What stresses <laughs> you out most about it? So I think just like the environment in general is, I always think I'm going to like TSA is going to pull me over for having like a concealed weapon, even though I have no concealed weapons ever, mm-hmm. but that's just my anxiety um you do look guilty it's just a very yes i do um and so it's just always so much i have i have so many different scenarios that could go wrong um and then i always think like the gate that i'm supposed to be in doesn't exist Mm -hmm. um and so i have to physically like go to that gate like three separate times just to make sure Mm -hmm. like I need to know the layout of all of it. Um, It's, it's all of it. Um, And then also getting kidnapped in the airport is one of my, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's another one of my fears. Um, Also this one time I went to the airport to go home in like San Francisco and like during the flight someone had like stolen my like debit card like details and so when I landed home and I turned my like phone like back on um off airplane mode I was getting like 
so many missed calls from like my boss, my mom. I got like all these fraud alerts, like Ooh. my account balance, like went below. Um, and so apparently this person had gotten my details. They took an Uber to like Ontario, got went to an ATM, tried to like take out like $800 all this stuff um, while I was on a flight. And so I had to deal with this, like walking out of the airport and like trying to get everything else, like taking care of like getting picked up, like all this stuff. Thank goodness I had someone else with me. So they were able to like deal with all the logistics while I was like (laughs) taking care of like not having any money. Your traveling partner is like moving your legs for you because you're just crumbling inside. Yes. Mm. Um. So I don't. I I don't like the airports. In place. I really wish when people <laughs> try to steal your identity and credit card numbers that they would have a little fun with it. You know, just something a little spicy. Right? Give us a story. Why are you just taking an Uber? Well, one time my card got stolen and they just tried to buy a TV from Walmart. And I'm like, come, come on. Like, so boring. add something in there. Add something that's going to make me question who you are and give me a little, you know, Tickle my imagination. It make me envious for me not being you. Exactly. You know? Like, how dare you spend my money better than I spend my money? Yeah, there were, uh, there was one time when someone stole my credit card information and started ordering stuff from Korea, and it was like very small microchips and things. So maybe that person mm-hmm. was building, I don't know, like a K-pop robot to take over the world. I think so. Yeah, maybe BTS was built off of my debit card. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, it would. Thanks for saying that and lying to me. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Um, so, Jane. <laughs> also, every everyone that like goes to the airport with me, like they're just after the trip, they're like, I never want to do that with you again <laughs> well gosh so when i traveled with you i thought that i was the one that was super paranoid about you know like how you said about the gate thing i have this experience when i look at the gate number and i see the city names on that electronic marquee i assume that my eyes are scrambling letters and not seeing the correct word so i will literally have to try and refocus my eyes and look at the ticket and look up at the marquee and make sure they're matching i'm assuming that things have been distorted to where i'm going to be displaced or like you said kidnapped which is so silly because look at us we're not really prime kidnapping age or material (laughs) um we've only got the rbs that keep people at bay Um, But when I traveled with you, I was really put in my place that I don't have (laughs) the sheer force of anxiety that I could feel. It was like radiating like an orb around you. Um, So it was quite a spectacle to behold, kind of like the Aurora Borealis. So um, that was nice. But so my experience with airplanes. Ah, man, I just don't it's it's. It really freaks me out that you're in this tube with people and not so much that you're flying that high above it. That doesn't freak me out. But just being in such close proximity to so many people breathing the air, the same air for so long, that starts to make me feel suffocated. And that what that is what makes me paranoid. I think it's the germ thing again. 
that I can't bear the recycled air, even like if I'm sleeping next to someone, when they breathe into my face, I have to turn away because I don't want to breathe in their <laughs> carbon dioxide output or whatever. Um, it's just something about that freaks me out. Um, so I, I try to distract myself so I'm not struggling for breath. But the thing about airplanes is that even though it stresses me out, I'll get to a certain zenith in the anxiety where I just reach a plateau and go into complete, I don't know if it's a peace <laughs> or if it's just utter disassociation. I'll just check out of my body. So when I was little, um, my mom took me up to, I think it was Seattle, Washington to visit a boyfriend and uh, up there, you know, they were having their romantic time. So I'd sit in the windowsill eating prepackaged little Debbie brownies. He lived at the edge of a forest. <laughs> so I could view deer and everything. And I think he was really trying to impress my mom and convince her to move up there. So he took us horseback riding and we went to a mall so he could buy my mom stuff. And there was, this is back when there were pet stores in the mall before we realized like, oh, that's an awful thing to do to living creatures. And I saw a hamster that I really liked. And he was like, okay, let's buy it. Like, let me buy your affection. He didn't talk like that. He was a Vietnamese guy. He, so he had a fob accent, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so everybody's talking like Philip Nguyen today. Okay, let's buy it. Let's pack up this little hamster. So I took this hamster on a plane in one of those little hamster balls, those little plastic balls in my mom's purse. So this whole flight home to LA, I'm stressing out because I think that the pressure, which at the time it was making my ears hurt so bad, I thought they were going to start bleeding like in Firestarter and all of my telekinetic powers would be destroyed. Oh man, I'm getting like way too specific about my issues now, but <laughs> I was so worried that this hamster was going to explode from the pressure or just its its heart would give out. I was so, so worried about that. I had this crippling anxiety that whole way home. But when we got to 35,000 feet or whatever, and I could still hear him scratching inside my mom's purse, I just reached this like plateau where I just didn't feel anything anymore. And so I think that that's carried through because the longest flight that I've ever taken it wasn't Vietnam. It was when I went to visit my cousin in Australia and he was working out there. Um, shout out to Big E. God, I wish I was a hip hop star. That would sound so much better. Um, <laughs> I go out there to visit him <laughs> and it's such a long flight and I'm sitting next to this young girl and I try not to talk to anyone because gross and I don't want their breath in my face. That's another thing I have to do on the plane. I have to wash my face a lot because I feel like people's breath on my face is going to give me acne or some kind of infectious, like flesh eating disease. So I was talking to her minimally, but I find out in the bits of conversation that we have that she has never left the country before. So she's embarking on this huge journey all the way across the globe for her first flight. And she's going out there to be an au pair or something um, to nanny these little Australian kids. So about 14 hours into this 18-hour flight, she starts having a fucking panic attack, like freaking out, like uh, 
like speaking in tongues to herself almost and fidgeting in her seat. And she's sitting right next to me. So I don't know what to do. And I was like, do you need anything? You want to switch seats? You want to look at the window? So we do that. She continues freaking out to the point where the flight attendant has to come and remove her from our row. And I think she placed her somewhere in first class or something. So she would have more room, but she, I just had never seen anyone have a breakdown like that on a plane. And so it amused me that, you know, I might be anxious, but I'm not as bad as that. So I hope that she is taking care of Australian children somewhere and passing her anxiety down to them. So, yeah, I, I don't like airplanes because of the anxiety yeah. and, the germ <laughs> and the breathing and all that. Oh, did you see that video recently of the guy who lost it on the kid on the plane? No. It, it was like a viral video. There was a couple with a baby on the plane and the baby's crying, obviously, because it knows that air travel doesn't make sense for human bodies. Mm-hmm. And this man, a grown man, starts yelling and like, shut that baby up. Like, I didn't come on this plane for this. Like, I'm trying to relax. Like, it's all about him. As if the parents oh are like trying to get their baby to cry. Obviously, the parents are the first people on the right. plane who want the baby to shut the fuck up. But you can't. Like, poor kid. Um, so I just hate that air travel also brings out the worst in people. The worst in people. Yeah. Especially how they treat the flight attendants, too. It's mm-hmm. just bad. And whenever there's kids on a plane, there. one time I took a flight. I think it was just to Oregon. So it's a short flight. There's a woman with three kids, all under five years old with her. And one of them's an infant. And so she's trying to keep these two that are, like, punching each other, literally fighting. <laughs> and then also nurse her baby. And all the people around me are just, like clicking their tongues and being like, what a terrible mother. And this, so I try to be a good person for once in my life. And I'm talking to the kids and like playing games with them. And I'm giving them um, little gummies to help with their ears popping and stuff. And I just, if I could do that, if my dead black heart can do that, then you can do that too. Like, we're all kids once. We hate that shit. So I don't know why you would yell at a baby on a plane. I mean, what if the plane went down and you all died together? Do you want that to be your last act with yelling at a baby? (laughs) Oh my gosh, did you watch the um, Malaysian Airways, like, documentary on Netflix? Uh, I've seen parts of it because my husband and older daughter are watching it, yeah. It's crazy. So what is their hypothesis about what happened? So they gave us three different, like, theories that could have happened. One was, like, the pilot just went rogue and, like, flew it into the Indian Ocean. Ooh, love that look. Yeah. The second was, like, um, Russians took over. Oh, the Russians. (laughs) And then the third. The Russians. And then the third was like the US like shot it down because um they found out like China was like trying to sneak in like American like technology um in the cargo of the plane. 
Well, I don't know and about so you, like, but I'm leaning toward number three. Whenever the U.S. is the culprit, I'm yeah, like, that's too. probably Drew. Yeah, and so it, it like they gave us like the different like theories or hypotheses that um, could have happened, um, and it's just like crazy because how does an entire plane with like two hundred plus people just go missing? Yeah. yeah. Would, uh, I remember when that happened, didn't they say that there were researchers on board and they thought maybe that was the reason it was targeted? Like some kind of scientist? Or no? I don't know. I don't I don't remember them talking about that. Um, there was like, I don't know. It was just so crazy. And then they were also like finding like debris. Um where like the Indian Ocean like islands I don't know what's over there I'm terrible at geography but they like this one person was like continuously finding like the main like debris from the plane and they're just like how is it this one person is able to keep finding these things like it has to be like staged or something Mm. um and they I guess they found like a big part like maybe a wing um but they said that was planted because it was missing some type of like identification and that's only missing or like it can only be removed if it's first dismembered or like taken apart Hmm. first um but there is like this other like person who found or or was like using satellite um images and they found like a plane um where using like that route that they were originally taking Mm -hmm. and it was like the complete opposite way that um they were like looking for um and that's like the third theory like the u.s just shot it down Hmm. and it was where it was like taking that course um but it was because like there was some type of technology from the u.s that china was trying to get a hold of Oh, well, I love a story that continues to breed resentment and hate and reason for war between the U.S. and Asia, because we haven't had enough centuries of that. Happy Asian Pacific (laughs) Islander Heritage Month! (laughs) But, you know, how much can you really trust the pilot, too? So that might be it as well. Did you hear about that flight? I think it was from Ethiopia. So somewhere in Eastern Africa, and it was going to Western Africa. And the pilot and the co-pilot just knocked out they just went to sleep and they found the plane <laughs> somewhere in like spain or something before they realized they were going in the wrong direction because all the passengers are like uh wasn't this like a two-hour flight we've been on here for four hours now uh so you know p- pilots are people yeah. so i don't trust them i don't know what they're doing up there in the cockpit i mean they call it a cockpit <laughs> <laughs> so i'm feeling that we both hate air travel though it is the one that we use the most yes. how do you feel about cruises i don't understand cruises <laughs> what is it that perplexes you the most about giant floating cities well i i th- I touched on it earlier this episode. I have a fear of like the deep open ocean. Like, have you seen those videos of just like 
these boats or ships just completely being demolished by like ginormous waves just mm-hmm. and there's nothing like for miles and miles and miles that can like save you that is terrifying and then like what if the zombie apocalypse breaks out and like you're just on this ship mm-hmm. just stuck you know that's like it's just in remember the titanic come on oh <laughs> titanic <laughs> Now that's a boat I would ride on. Um, remember at the beginning of COVID and there were people stuck on cruise ships for, I don't know, weeks, yes. right? Before they could disembark. Oh man, I would have yeah. loved to be on that boat just as like a floating body to observe what kind of heinous behavior people resorted to trapped on this flotilla of fucking uh like my time mix and you know <laughs> cruise ship swimming pool towels like it's just it feels like torture i i've been on one cruise so i am the <laughs> child that was always left behind on family vacations so purposefully written out of every itinerary of a family vacation except for one time I got to go on a cruise to Mexico. So a very short cruise, like three stops. I almost lost my fucking mind. It is. <laughs> it feels like some greater hand is trying to numb you into submission for easy, easy elimination from this world. In that when you're on there, they want you to eat constantly. It's just 24 hours of food. It's like force feeding. It's like the people in Wally, essentially, is what you feel like. Because you're just trapped in the space. All this food, they're serving it to you at the meal times and singing and dancing and fucking folding your napkin into all these animal shapes just so that you'll be like, ha, 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 feed me more, daddy. And then in between meals, even at night it's this 24 hour buffet and they're reminding you there's pizza french fries ice cream cookies so it's just constant gluttony and i feel like as an emotional eater who also tries to destroy myself through flaming hot cheetos (laughs) that i would be down for that but it way crossed the line and uh at this time in my life i didn't i couldn't drink So if you can't do that, there's really nothing to do except sit on the deck and watch white people roast in the sun by this pool that is on the ocean, which is also very weird. Uh, So it's pretty gross. And then when you get to your uh, port of call, (laughs) if you will, (laughs) that seems like such a fucking nasty phrase. I guess I think about it with uh, sex work. When you reach the port, <laughs> um, you have such a limited time. So everything's super rushed. Like, oh, you have four hours and 36 minutes to go experience Mexico. And it just feels the like the epitome of touristy stuff where you're not really experiencing a place. You're just going into whatever touristy stuff is set up at the port and then right back to the ship where they're fattening you up because you're lazy fucking Americans. Oh, I did hear, though, that there's one cruise line that is offering a two year 
uh, lease, I guess, on one of the rooms, you can live on a cruise ship for only like $40,000 for two years. And you're going to 140 some ports or something. That's crazy. So if you can work remotely, you could live on the ship and then essentially get to see 140 different destinations. I mean, for a very limited period of time, but $40,000 to live for two years, that's so cheap. At least for us, you know, living in California, that I mean, that doesn't even cover a year here. So, um, so I signed you up, and, okay. and your mom's coming with you. Why do I leave? I hope you pack plenty of outfits. <laughs> but I only packed one toothbrush for you. <laughs> so, if air travel and sea travel both disgust us. What about a road trip? How do you feel about a road trip? I love a road trip. Um, I, I, the only like problem that I have, like I need to have an itinerary and I need mm-hmm. to build in like bathroom stops mm-hmm. because my bladder just does not make mm-hmm. it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> have you ever peed in a bottle, Allura? Oh, what, okay, what's um, the grossest place you've ever peed when you were strapped for time or there wasn't a bathroom around? Ooh, this one time we were, because we used to have a cabin in Big Bear. And so I think it was like a holiday weekend too. Like it was like something. And so we were driving down and I'm usually like a sleeper in the car. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not driving, yeah. I'm, because I get car sick too so like that's like Word. how I get rid of it is not being conscious mm-hmm. um and so I was probably out for like an hour and a half two hours when I woke up we were like literally in the same spot it was mayhem there was like so many accidents like you could not go down this mountain and I had to go pee so so bad mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was literally the worst pain ever and so we literally had to turn around and we had to like make a rest stop um somewhere like on this like random like little stop in the mountains i think it was like where arrowhead Mm -hmm. was and like literally was like lines because everyone else was like turning around as well and like just waiting out the mountain and so that bathroom was just demolished um and any like festival porta potties are the absolute worst and in the dark oh my gosh oh it's terrible. okay so real quick this one time um my husband was <laughs> running a, a race in the mountains because he's like a superhuman and uh he can do all the stuff that i would never try but so i had my stepdaughter she was young at the time and she had never really used a porta potty before so we were at the the race start line and I take her into a porto potty. <laughs> of course, little kid who's never seen this before, she just like look, puts her face like toward the seat and looks inside. <laughs> and she goes, Who dumped beans in here? <laughs> and I said, Sweetheart, those aren't beans, or at least they used to be. <laughs> That's really hard when you have to pee though on a road trip and or the car sickness. I get really car sick as well. 
uh, one time actually in Big Bear, we were coming down the mountain because going down is the worst because all the it's the, the breaking and stuff is making the motion even more. So I felt so sick. I was ready to barf out the window. And I tell my husband, I was like, please, can you tell me a story to try and distract me? And he proceeds to tell me a story about how his friend threw up on the top of a mountain. And I <laughs> thought of all the stories. <laughs> this is the one you're telling. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy a road trip, too, because the trip that I'm about to go on is a road trip. Uh, in lieu of an airline flight to Oregon to see my family. Because I figured there's so many cool things to do in our state on the way up to Oregon. Like, why not spend the money making memories like that in these kind of random little towns rather than just pass it by on an equally expensive airline trip? But there was a road trip that I took with my dad uh, cross country. And the things that you see are so disturbing sometimes. <laughs> I remember driving through, I can't remember if it was New Mexico or Texas, but one of those godforsaken states where there's nothing for miles in any direction and it's just tumbleweeds, no signs of life whatsoever. And then I saw all of a sudden these little cardboard signs, like a cardboard Sharpie sign posted on the side of the road that says like, do you want to see this? And I go, okay. And then I see another one that says, if you want to see it, the turn's coming up. And then eventually I see a little sign that says, turn left here. Come on, I'd like to meet you. <laughs> so I look out left. There's no road. There's nothing out there. And I just think, who turns left? <laughs> and who's out there? Who is this dark little genius who wrote these signs that literally sent That is kills. terrifying. Yeah. Talk about murder. If you were to get murdered yes. in any city, where would you want to be murdered? Oh, that's such a great question. No, thanks. <laughs> or sex traffic, because I know that you worry about that, too. I worry about sex trafficking every day of my life. So where, where do you, what city do you want to be the last city where you were ever seen alive? I wouldn't want it to be like in, it has to be an exotic place, you mm. know? Picturesque. You like a nice setting. Yeah. I do like a nice setting. Um, it has to be like out of character. Like they have to like question it. They're like, why was she there? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, Cause I like to build in some mystery. Oh yeah. Um, you know where I think people would be most confused if that was the last place I was seen. Where? Montana. Montana. <laughs> You're laughing, but Montana is the scariest fucking place on this earth. I have never been so worried for my life than in Montana. Why? You're okay. So, God, like, what is not to be? You <laughs> get scared just remembering it now. I drove so fucking fast through that state because you're driving on these roads 
and I mean, naturally it's very beautiful, I guess, if you're into like the prairie stuff. I'm not so much because whenever I'm away from the ocean, I get very claustrophobic and I just feel like, oh, I got to drive to a coast or at least a lake or no, not a lake because stuff sits in there and there's like monsters, but some kind of moving body of water. So in Montana, you're on these roads, this open landscape, and then all of a sudden you'll just see like a, a steer or a cow carcass hanging like from a ranch sign, just like a splayed open body and then like a Confederate flag. I'm like, motherfucker, you know how far you are from the South? You're like literally as far as you can go from the South. But the racism has carried there. And that's the kind of racism that scares me because it's so much open land, so much isolation. You know, there's nothing around and not enough people to Mm -hmm. ease your racism. Like, whoever's racist in Montana out there by themselves cutting open animals like that, you know that it's irreparable. Like they're so far gone because they're not seeing any black people and definitely not any mixed race Asian people. So it was, Oh, that's crazy. Very horrifying. And then just, you know, the little conversations you overhear when you're on a road trip, stopping in random places and, at a diner or something or at some kind of roadside attraction. And you just hear the casual comment of, oh, the Civil War wasn't about racism. And you're like, oh, (laughs) let me just back out of this place. (laughs) You know, or Abraham Lincoln was a liar. So I'm like, okay, let me be on my way. Oh, my God. So yeah, Montana's scary. Uh, North Dakota was very similar to that too. It was in North Dakota during like some motorcycle rallies. So I thought for sure it was getting beheaded. Actually, I think that's not fair because I've known some motorcycle gang guys who are quite nice. Anyway, what were you saying? I have two. I have two. Like the other states, I'm not really interested in going to. They just don't seem like a good time. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like especially because i think we're just so like not necessarily spoiled but like we have a lot of diversity mm-hmm. in like southern california and so i think just going to other places in the same country as you but we're all just so different yeah that just terrifies me like i just don't want to be <laughs> somewhere else that like doesn't you know hold the same like values as I do there's a lot of safety here I when I was in Alabama first of all I didn't realize Alabama had so much lush forest it's actually quite beautiful but the people ruin it um, because there's people sitting on their porches with shotguns and so many flags have that or so many trucks have the confederate flag on them and then there's oh there were these thunderstorms that would like knock out the electricity and the only place you can go is the applebees and the guys at the applebees look like they're all named keith and are ready to backhand you and put you in a shallow grave that might be judgy but i think it's true how do you feel people genuinely scare me Yeah, because you never know what capacity they have. And sometimes the most normal looking ones are the ones I fear the most. 
And I feel very out of place as a mixed person because when you go into different geographies, not just physical, but the social geographies, you find that you learn a lot about the culture because people are trying to index what you are and where you fall on whatever hierarchy they have in that place. And like you said, Southern California, we kind of know where we stand. There's other people who look like us, but you go other places and you realize that they're not so down for people who look like us or have our heritage there. Um, how do you feel about being an Asian American going to Asia? Um, that's a good question that I don't know how to answer. <laughs> I feel like I look very Asian. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I wouldn't, not that I'm necessarily very comfortable going, but I feel like I won't get too many crazy looks, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just more, ex- I'm like more wary of like being respectful in the space um, and in the country. And so like just doing my due diligence and like really knowing like the customs and like the everyday's um things like that is normal in there that's like not necessarily like I'm very because I'm such a loud person mm-hmm. and <laughs> not laugh anywhere in Japan. <laughs> I know I yeah I have to be so serious um I'm genuinely worried of just like getting kicked out of the country because of how loud I am mm-hmm. so I really have to work on volume yeah volume control you're just going to be in a Shinto yeah. temple and the walls will be reverberating with your laughter and Japan will shun you. They'll put you on a list. Yes. A no-fly list. Yeah, I uh, when I was in Vietnam, I was actually very worried uh, because I'd been told things before I left about hiding my identity, not showing them that I knew Vietnamese because I would be judged for being like a war baby, a product of a sex worker and a GI and all of the bad feelings that come with that. And when I arrived in Saigon, I'm not going to call it Ho Chi Minh City, take that Vietnam. Um, but there was a mixed girl <laughs> who was going through customs at the same time as me. And she looked a little bit more Vietnamese than I did. I think maybe she even had a middle name or something on her passport that identified her as Vietnamese, which I don't have because my (laughs) mother was whitewashed and trying to assimilate at the time. Um, So she got detained by the airport authorities because of all of this harbored resentment toward mixed race kids who in Vietnam were like second class citizens for decades and probably still are to some degree because of what they represent. So I felt, (laughs) I felt very privileged in having like a white last name. And I, you know, talked to the, the customs guy. I was like, hello, sir. I am from America. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) You know? So I really played up my white voice and got through scot-free. But then once I was in the city and was talking with people, of course I used Vietnamese and, you know, it it got a bunch of different responses. Some people didn't want to acknowledge me, but I think the vast majority of people, especially the younger people, wanted to talk to me because they felt like I was a bridge. Like I understood some of the cultural things, but I'm also very clearly an American who could give them insight into what life was like there. 
Um, so those are the positive things about being Asian American, like in the homeland or whatever. But I think overall it, it just made me sad. I think because the tragedy of my ethnic group's history was so recent. So it felt very close to the surface of feeling guilty for all the privileges I have of being mixed and being born in America, but also feeling really tied to the culture as well. So it was hard, but, um, but I'd be interested to go back now and because things are changing so much over there and things are becoming so westernized. It'd be interesting to go back now and see what that experience was like. Oh, you know, in Vietnam, one of the funniest things I saw was the sign on the back of the hotel door. It said, do not bring harlot into the room or durian. <laughs> so can't bring prostitutes in the room or no. pussy fruits. Durian so disgusting. Um, so crazy. Speaking the- of yeah. um, sex trafficking. Yeah. Travel. I feel I like you say, about it because... I feel like you say that with everything. Like people are talking about pancakes and you're like, speaking of sex trafficking. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so crazy and just terrible that this is like a worldwide business mm-hmm. and it just crosses so many borders, so many cultures And it's, like, it's honestly the worst thing in the world. I read this book, like, years ago, and I always talk about it constantly. It's gotten me on this journey of, (laughs) like, telling everyone about sex trafficking because it's important. I mean, it's probably very outdated. It was, like, in 2000 and, like, early 2000s it was written. But it's basically, like, breaking down the business of sex trafficking. And so this person like went and traveled to so many different countries and like interviewed like victims brothel owners like actual like traffickers that would bring these people like across the border all the like so he totally got into the economics and the full business of it and just like the different countries and their own business practices and it's so crazy actually like kidnappings or is like a far less common practice than you would imagine, but it's like the most nationalized. Um, like the two, like most, um, like recruitment, um, is done through like your family actually selling you off mm-hmm. or like romances or being recruited by other like victims, you know? Yeah. And like getting kidnapped is like the bottom of the list. Cause that's just like, takes so much effort and like, there's so much more at stake that way. Yeah. It's the biggest risk. So, I mean, that kind of can reassure you a little bit <laughs> when you're traveling. <laughs> oh, anytime someone tries to romance me abroad, I'm like, you want to sex traffic me, don't you? Exactly. Well, like in Taken, that's what happened to Taken. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Well, you haven't seen Deuce Bigelow. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I, um, years ago in Oceanside, there was a ring of, I think, 39 
uh, gang members who were involved in a sex trafficking scheme. And it was exactly that. It was these cool, like older guys who were hitting on teenage girls and, you know, teenage girls, as sick as we are in the head, were like, oh, older boyfriend, he's got tattoos, he's dangerous. And so they would slowly over months work them into, you know, convincing them that selling their bodies and giving the guy the money was what love meant. And that I think is the really insidious part is the psychological manipulation. So it's almost, it would be more reassuring to be kidnapped and thrown into it, but it's this thing of it's your family or your friends or your quote unquote boyfriend who is persuading you into this. That really represents the deepest sickness in our society and I know that like in Vietnam, a lot of girls get sold into it by their families and they get sold to like Japanese businessmen, Allura, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, rich guys in Korea. So they're being sold off to these other countries in Asia and committing suicide because they're basically sex slaves. And it's like a huge thing that gets reported in Vietnamese news, but we never hear about it here because... You know, American media doesn't really care about women of color or, you know, people who are designated as sex workers or or under the guise of like being a bride, you know? Yes, so, like 90 Day Fiance. Exactly. 90 Day Fiance is neocolonialism at its best. I mean, at its worst. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Sex trafficking, bad. That's the moral of this. Yes. This episode. So moral of the story, men out there listening, if you go to a foreign country looking for some female companionship, make sure you're not paying for it and contributing to the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, That's I... it. That was my lecture. <laughs> This podcast is really about learning about global issues. It is. <laughs> yeah. I actually um, followed one of these women. <laughs> oh, that's bad. So I, was at a, <laughs> I was at a restaurant <laughs> in Nhat Dang in Vietnam where actually my grandmother used to work, uh, you know, as one of said women. And uh, there were these girls I could tell that were you know, being companions to these boisterous Australian men. And the one of them had her kid under the table playing on a Game Boy while she was, you know, serving this man. And she took a break and went to the bathroom. And I followed her into the bathroom because I don't know. I I guess I was curious about how she would be away from the man, like what I could glimpse of her real personality when she wasn't being paid to be one type of way. And it just made me sad to like be there and just try to give her a smile just to like see her in some way. And there's nothing I could do. And, you know, maybe I think with, with women like in that I've known that, they felt like that was their only choice. And I think that's what makes me saddest is that they get pushed into a corner and feel like it's the only way they can make money because there's no opportunities economically or educationally. And those are things we take for granted. I thought this was a humorous podcast. (laughs) 
Hey, have you ever, we ever had- advertised it as that? <laughs> this is getting too uncomfortable, even for me. So have you ever had a romance on vacation? No, because again, sex track. I'm terrified. Yes. And also I'm just not a very um I asked my <laughs> I asked my mom the other day if she thought I was a nice person and she immediately said no. Um and then she said you know, she was like, You have the capacity to be nice. Like you are nice to other people, but it's like it it's not like your nature. Like you have to work at it. <laughs> And I said that that's fair. That's fair stuff. Um, Happy so, Mother's like, I just Day, think- Steph. <laughs> Allura loves you. She just can't show it. <laughs> so, like, I just feel like my aura is always just like I shut people down. Like, I'm not like a necessarily like open mm-hmm. person to like talk to. Yeah. That's a good uh, safety barrier. So you get to choose yeah. who you talk to rather than taking unwanted advances. Um, I've, you know, never been approached by anyone while I was on vacation, but it was because I'm ugly. What is the weirdest thing you've seen in the Airbnb <laughs> Damn it, Jade. Okay. Um, you said- <laughs> Your laughter confirmed. Airbnb and hotel. Yeah. What's the grossest <laughs> or weirdest thing? Um, well, whenever I go into any of those places, I always have to, like, check for cameras. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you got to get the right angle. You got to move it around, you know. Highlight your assets. You want to put on a show. You know? Um, so it's always like, and I always bring um, actually this uh, lock. <laughs> Ridiculous. Wouldn't it be funny? I think the audience if, is fun. <laughs> if you moved the little nanny cam right to the toilet seat, but like where it just looks at your butt as you're sitting down. And so that's all they saw over and over again. <laughs> That's a great idea. I'm going to do that. It is. Yeah. Teach him a lesson. Um, I always bring this uh, portable lock with me so that, like, you can't open the door. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. You know. It's like you're in a cave. Safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always, like, lock myself in. I actually had <laughs> – I think I told you it was, like, last year I was going through it, but I – had like a huge panic attack when I was like alone in the mm. house and my family was at like Disneyland oh, so yeah. I couldn't like so I couldn't bug them basically and so I was just like huddled like I have like throwing knives um and so I had like one of them just like in my hand because I thought someone was in the house and I thought I had a lock on the door it doesn't work by the way found that out the next morning oh. mm-hmm. but um, I was literally like a statue, like with this like stupid throwing knife in my hand, just waiting for an intruder to come. And <laughs> so the next day I ordered this like portable lock. And so like whenever I'm like home alone, I always like lock myself in my room so that no one can come in. And then I also bring it with me wherever I spend the night at at a hotel or Airbnb because you know, everyone's out to get me. 
I would like to say that's a good idea, but what if someone's already in the house and then you're locked in there with them? Yeah, see, so, like, I always do, like, a, like, you know, I do my walkthrough of the house and I keep doors open. Mm-hmm. Like, at least one point of entry open so that it's, like, an easy escape. Yeah. When I lived by myself, I always would tour apartments and only choose the ones where you could see every room when you walked in because I always assumed someone was lurking. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question about these throwing stars, though. Do you practice? Like, do you feel like you have good aim if you did have to use them? No. Well, that I haven't used them once. Defeats the purpose, then. You got to practice. It does. We got to get you a throwing I know. gummy. I do. Um, yeah, I just, I, but I have them. Um, <laughs> and they're also bedazzled. So cute. So when I was um, younger and feasibly fuckable by the male sex, I was assaulted a couple times while I was uh, walking home from school. And so I started carrying this Kubaton that my husband actually got for me when we started dating because I had all of these fears from those previous assaults. And you know what a Kubaton is? Yes. <laughs> You're like, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> for those listening who may not know, it's basically a stick that you carry in your hand, you attach it to your keys or something, but there's a spike at the end and then there's spikes that stick out between your knuckles when you're holding it. So you could punch someone or stab someone with it. If you're just holding that when you're holding your keys. One time I went to get a car wash and I only go to the car wash when the car is really bad. Like I've been eating lots of meals in there. Go to the car wash. I'm waiting for this guy to clean the inside. He picks up my keys. He looks at the Kubaton and he calls the other (laughs) car wash guys over and they all start laughing. And that was the last day that I carried the Kubaton because I knew it was ineffectual. If the guys are laughing at it, yeah, women lose again. Um, That's upsetting. What were we talking about? Airbnb or hotel? Oh, yeah, because the lock. <laughs> well, you know how they always say the dirtiest part of a hotel is the remote control? Mm-hmm. Um, one time we checked into a hotel and the remote was there and I was wiping it down. And then I realized where I was standing next to the bed and the nightstand where the remote had been placed was a very large wet spot and not just damp, but oh. like viscous wet. That's disgusting. I always also check for bed bugs. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be terrible? Did you ever get lice when you were a kid? No. Really? I know. Wow. That's like a I'm very proud of that fact. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. I had it twice. (laughs) You're not surprised. It was just last year. Um, speaking of death, <laughs> yes. In your final trip, if you are cremated, mm-hmm. uh, where should we scatter your ashes? Actually, I've always wanted to lay to rest at um, 
the different houses I've lived in so that I could forever haunt the occupants of the space. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so when you're a ghost, what are you going to do to these poor, unassuming people who have just moved into your former home? I honestly don't know. I think I would have to get to know them a little bit. And then figure out their like triggers oh my and like God. their deepest fears and then capitalize on it. So I would first like not even like show myself. I would wait and get to know them a little bit and then attack. Your penchant for research <laughs> is really <laughs> blood Like how much you want to get to know their psychology. I would just do fun stuff. I'd be like... I'd, I'd like flip their Oreos inside out and be like, ha, ah, boo! I'd just be the most ridiculous ghost. I'm like Casper on cocaine. I would love to be haunted by you. Oh, you're getting it. <laughs> and I'm so much older than you that you're going to get lots of time alive with my ghost following your ass around. And I'll be just like would love it. whispering in your ear, like, I'll sex traffic you. <laughs> Sell your body for me. <laughs> so where do you want to be laid to rest, Jane? <laughs> mm. Okay. So you can sprinkle a little of me at Disneyland. And I know that a lot of people get caught trying to do that. So you got to be real discreet, okay? And I know you'll be good at that. Because Disneyland is one of the few places that always makes me happy. Which is surprising. Why? Because I'm so miserable otherwise? I, I just would feel like you would hate Disneyland. But I love that you love it. I do love and it. And that you find joy in it. It makes me really happy. I I thank my dad a lot for giving me so many happy memories at Disneyland that are like gems hidden in mountains of feces that was the rest of my childhood. So there's happiness <laughs> there. And then now that I'm a mother, I, you know, I'm just like in on the capitalism and Disney's monopoly on childhood. I'm like, full in because my kids have so much fun so it's like I get to pass down that happy memory that my dad gave to me so it's a one untainted place in my world so a little bit of uh, Disneyland maybe on that Alice in Wonderland ride I like that one a lot oh Big Thunder Mountain too Mm -hmm. just scatter me in the winds of the west (laughs) um other places you might put me is in like a little cupcake recipe and then you consume it so I'm always a part of you (laughs) That's, That's good. And then maybe just on the ocean. So, you know, ooh, what if like fish eat me and then my ghost is in a fish that appears to you in your dreams mm-hmm. and sends you messages through my spirit, which is undying. I would love nothing more, nothing less. What is that saying? I, don't I think know. I messed it up. It's fine. English is stupid. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a great trip to Japan, Alora. <laughs> I hope you have a non-creepy road trip, mm-hmm. Jade. I'm going to send you pictures from mine. Of I'm going to You know what my sister asked me the other day? Uh-huh. 
I was I was just like, hey, what do you want from Japan? And she was like, it's not she was like, it's not necessarily um a tangible thing. Uh-oh. But could you log in to my Pokemon Go account and oh just share something for me? That's a big ask. I cannot imagine you collecting Pokemon all around Tokyo. Literally, I said that is a solid ask. Um, and I will attempt it just for you. I hope Japanese people in Japan get really offended that you're playing Pokemon in their country. Yeah. It's like the most racist thing you could do to them. Quite literally. Yeah, but I it's think, fine. Um, actually, I have a good idea. I'm going to make a little doll of you. And then I'm going to take it on the road trip and take pictures of you as a little doll in all of these weird places. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. I thought so. <laughs> It'll be a nice segue into our next narcissism episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, look at me in all these places. <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all we have <laughs> for you today. <laughs> Not quite enough. <laughs> that was a wide-ranging conversation. It was. <laughs> Call back to Melania. It was a wide-ranging conversation. Everybody watched Baby J. Yes. And, oh, we must say that we're going to take a hiatus over the summer while we're on our respective trips. Yes. But we will be in your ear holes again at the end of summer. Yes, we will be taking a break from June and July, but we'll come back fast and hard in August. Ooh, Japanese heat, baby. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) until next time, (laughs) make good choices. Don't get sex trafficked.